Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're going to get into a brand new series in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to just make mention of a few things and do something that we love to do here as a church, and that is pray for um, another church in our community. And so uh, today we're going to be praying for Pecan Gap First Baptist Church. And so uh, if you will, let's bow our heads. Let's say a word of prayer. God, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for what you're doing in our city and in this county and in the surrounding areas. God, we believe that uh, you are on the move and that you are touching lives and that you are healing people and that you are uh, transforming us from the inside out, Lord, that you are drawing people to yourself. And God, we thank you for what you're doing uh, in Pecan Gap First Baptist Church, even this morning. God, we pray that your, uh, your blessing and your favor would just be on them and what you've called them to do, that you would bless their leadership and their congregation. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, we've got, you heard it in the announcements, a couple of things. Uh, In two weeks from today, we have water baptisms. We call them Made New Weekends, where uh, basically we're declaring that the old is gone and the new has come. And that's what baptism is, right? It's a public declaration of what you've already made a decision about Jesus on the inside of you. And uh, so that's coming up in two weeks, and you can still get registered for that. The reason we ask you to register uh, is because we, uh, we want to give you a t-shirt. We have towels and everything ready to go, and so it helps us be prepared uh, on that day so we can get that information out to you. But that's going to be during the 1045 service on March the 19th. So if you want to be water baptized, if you've given your life to Jesus, and you want to be water baptized and follow the Lord, I believe that it's an important thing. I think it is your next step whenever you surrender your life to Jesus is that you would be water baptized. And we love uh, made new weekends here as a church where we get to celebrate together and uh, it's just an awesome time together so keep that in mind two weeks from today get registered on the church center app uh, if you want to be a part of that if you uh, if you want to follow the lord in water baptism uh, first sunday prayer is tonight and so we want you to be here tonight uh, we we initially had been doing these on tuesday nights and then during the 21 days of prayer and fasting we were having prayer on sunday nights and we felt like the lord was wanting us to make a shift and move those to the first sunday nights of each of each month And so uh, tonight is going to be the first one that we're having on Sunday. Uh, But it's a time where we come together and we worship. Um, We have our own time where we're going to be praying individually. um, And we just let the Lord lead us. And uh, and tonight specifically, we felt led to uh, pray for healing. Uh, Pray for healing in people's bodies and healing, uh, spiritual healing, physical healing, whatever kind of healing you're in need of. Here's what we have uh, recognized uh, over the last little bit, it seems like there have been, uh, I know we were thinking about just our own family situations and what's going on and in people's lives and just some news that we've gotten over the last couple of weeks. And um, we just, we believe that, um, that we have a real enemy who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And uh, we want to join together corporately and we want to believe, you know, what we know to be true, that God is greater. And greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. And, uh, and we just want to, we want to pray um, for anybody who's had a bad report, uh, for anybody who's struggling with sickness in your body, uh, maybe you've got relationships that are kind of severed and, and, uh, and you're just believing that God's going to restore things, we want you to be here tonight and we're just going to join together corporately and have time where we're going to pray from 6 to 7, so one hour 
uh, where we're going to be here and worshiping and praying. And so come back out tonight. We'd love to have you here. And then the last thing that I want to uh, mention before we get into this message is uh, back at the end of the hall, what we have called the Next Steps Room. It's where uh, even today during the second service, we're hosting Next Steps, another uh, session of Next Steps. Step one is today. Uh, But back there, uh, we felt like that one thing that we wanted to be able to do with that room and utilize that room for is uh, we're also going to make that not just where we have Next Steps, but also a prayer room. Um, an opportunity for, for you or for me or whoever, even before services, you know, at, at like 8 o'clock in the morning, you want to get here early and you're like, you know what, I just need a place. I want to come and I want to pray and I want to join together with some other people. And so we're going to have that available and, and uh, for you to be able to come and pray or, you know, pray in between services or different things like that. We just want to have, we just felt so strongly how the Lord has put on our heart uh, this emphasis of prayer. We've been talking about this for like the last year and uh, just really believe that God's doing something and wants us to be a people that pray. Jesus said when he went into the temple and he, and he was flipping over the tables and doing all this because they had turned it into a place where they were you know, selling sacrifices. And he said, no, my father's house would be called a house of prayer. And my goodness, if we can't come to church and it be a place where we can pray and we can seek the face of God and we can join together, then I think we're missing something. And so, uh, so we're going to open that up. That's going to be open as, as well. And we'll kind of remind you about that as the weeks go on so that, that you can be aware of that. But just an opportunity for you to just kind of sit in the presence of God, worship, pray, uh, just a specific area in the church that will be set apart for that. So I want to let you know about that. So today we're beginning a new series. Uh, we mentioned this last week. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter or the letter uh, that we have in our Bible that's called First Peter. Now, I don't know if you've ever read First Peter. I really enjoy reading First Peter. Uh, there's a lot of good practical things in First Peter. Um, but before we, uh, before we get into the message today, I want to do a couple of things. The first one is every time we do a series where we go through a specific book of the Bible, I always want to encourage you to read that book of the Bible over and over and over and over again as we're going through it. So First Peter is five chapters, and this series is going to take us all the way to Easter Sunday. Uh, and then I believe that God's put something specific on my heart that we're, I'm going to be speaking on on Easter Sunday. It's going to be uh, just a time where I believe God's going to, just lives are going to be transformed. We're going to see Jesus in, in a new way. But uh, during this series, take a day on Monday, read chapter 1, Tuesday, just something practical like that. Five days a week, read through it. You'll be able to read through it five or six times while we're going through this series. And it's going to be like... I want you to pay attention to what we're, what we're talking about when we're here on a Sunday, but the Holy Spirit wants to speak and reveal things to you. And so you can be reading this throughout the week, and there'd be something that, that jump off the page to you because it's exactly what he wanted to speak to you through that scripture in that moment. And so be reading it on your own, and, and uh, in the time allotted, it's going to be hard to get through every single thing that you want to say uh, through every single chapter. So allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Uh, be reading it. And then the other thing, I always love to give a little introduction, um, just some practical information that maybe you're already aware of, but I find interesting. Uh, things like who wrote First Peter? Well, you might have guessed it. Uh, it is Peter. <laughs> uh, there are some books of the Bible where you're thinking like, okay, you know, like the ones that Paul wrote, and they're all letters to, you know, different, different individuals, different groups of people. And, uh, but Peter, First and Second Peter, it is named after Peter, so we believe that it's Peter uh, the disciple that followed Jesus. And uh, what's interesting about Peter is, if you think about the disciples, uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. There were a lot of people that followed Jesus, all right? We sometimes picture in the Bible, we're like, there were 12 people that followed Jesus. No, there were lots of people that were following Jesus around. Uh, but he had 12 that he spent a lot of time with, and he explained things to. And then within those 12, he had three 
that he would take into certain situations or he would take with him uh, into certain scenarios. And it was Peter, James, and John. And so Peter was one of those that you might consider uh, to be one of the, the ones that were the, the particularly close to Jesus. And I found it interesting as I was studying this and kind of getting some background in preparation for this series that Peter, um, if you, as you read through this letter, Peter reflects a lot on what he had spent a lot of time with Jesus. So he reflects a lot on and he says a lot of things really that if you would think about it, you're like, man, that sounds like something Jesus said. That sounds like something that Jesus was teaching and Peter was getting some insight. And I just jotted a few of these down. How Peter refers to God as Father, as Jesus did, right? Jesus was teaching them how to pray, and he said, hey, here's the first thing you need to know. We refer to, like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's referring to God as Father uh, in, this, in this letter. Peter writes about being holy as God is holy. Is one thing we're going to see as we go through this. And Jesus, you know, one thing that Jesus said, he taught his disciples, he said, you need to be perfect as God is perfect. So it's like he's kind of reflecting back on what Jesus had taught. Peter writes, you know, about loving one another, just like Jesus uh, spoke about his followers loving one another. Peter writes about Jesus being the cornerstone. Jesus talked about himself being the cornerstone. Peter writes about believers doing good works, just like Jesus talked to his followers about letting their good works shine before men and, and, you know, so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And so Peter, it's almost like he's reflecting back on the things that Jesus had taught him and, and that he had picked up on as he was spending time with Jesus. Um, First Peter was written, kind of a broad range would be somewhere between uh, AD 54 and 68, but a more specific time frame would probably be somewhere around AD 62 and 63. So, so he's writing this letter about 30 years after Jesus has you know, ascended and gone back to heaven and is you know, in heaven with, with the Father. So he's writing it during that time. Most scholars believe that the recipients of First Peter were primarily Gentiles. Come on, somebody say, that's good news, because you is one. You as a Gentile. <laughs> Peter is writing primarily to, uh, to Gentiles. That this, the first recipients would have been primarily Gentiles. Uh, one, one study, I love this, of 1 Peter summarizes the theme of this letter in this way, and I'll just read this to you. It says, the major theme of 1 Peter is grace. In fact, the word grace is used in every chapter. And it gives examples, grace or thankworthy or acceptable. These, words, uh, these are words that can also be translated as grace in the, in the original language. And so Peter's aim is to testify of the sufficiency of God's grace and that those who persevere in faith while suffering persecution should be full of hope for they will certainly enjoy end time salvation since they are already enjoying God's saving promises here and now through the death and resurrection of Christ. So we're just going to jump in and uh, the way I like to do this is we'll take it in some sections and and talk about it for just a moment and we won't get to we'll be able to get to everything that's why I want you to read this on your own because uh, because God wants to speak to you through his word. In your own personal time, Monday through, through, through Saturday, God wants to speak to you. So we'll jump in. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. This letter is from Peter. There's how we know that it's, that it's him who wrote it. An apostle of Jesus Christ, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Now, one thing that initially st stands out to me in the first just verse or two here is how Peter 
uh, he greets the readers. And if you read a lot of these letters, Paul was write, wrote letters, Peter wrote letters, you know, James wrote a letter, all of these letters, it's like there's a greeting usually at the beginning. And one of the things that I love that, about what Peter greets these readers with is he reminds them, I believe, of where they stand in relationship to God. And so initially he comes in with, hey, like this is from Peter, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to you, and he specifies who he's writing to. And then I think we see a few things that, that Peter points out. He reminds these people, and I think us today, that they were chosen by God. Come on, is anybody thankful today that God, before you were ever even born, he chose you? He chose you. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my son and he's going to pay the price. And before, before you were ever even thought of, before you were ever even created, God chose you in advance. And so he's reminding them that they're chosen by God. I, I love this. He reminds them that they were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Come on, is anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus? He says, you were, you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I think we see that, you know, he talks about how they've been made holy or how they, you, know, you might word it this way, that they've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. That God chose them and that the blood of Jesus has cleansed them and that they have been, you know, they're being perfected. They're being made holy by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Come on, how many of you know that whenever you surrendered your life to Jesus and you gave your life to him, you became a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. And he is transforming you. You are being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what scripture would tell us. That's what Paul wrote. You are being transformed. It's by the Holy Spirit working in you. And so we can be reminded of these things. And I don't know about you, the last thing in verse 2 that I love is, is Peter says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Come on, how many of you received that today? <laughs> I love how even Paul writes this a lot of times. And he says, you know, grace and peace to you. And it's like, yes, Lord. You know, like, I'm going to read that over myself every single day. May there be more and more grace and peace in my life. And I think that one reason why he, he even makes this statement is because of what we're about to discover as we read kind of in chapter 1 is, is their current living situation, where they're currently at. It says that they're foreigners living in all these places. And as we're going to discover here in a moment, they're facing a lot of trials, a lot of persecution, a lot of things that are happening because of their faith in Jesus. And so he goes on, Peter goes on, verses 3 through 5, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. Come on, are you living with expectation? He says, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day. For all to see. Now, we heard, if you've grown up in church at, for any length, you know, you were in church at all growing up. Um, you've probably heard the term born again, being born again, born again. And a lot of times we, we would say salvation. We would say, uh, you know, surrendering your life to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus. But I love this term born again because it says we are born again and we are saved only because of what Jesus did for us. His death and burial and resurrection is the only reason that we can be born again. It's what Jesus did for us. And I know it sounds basic, but my prayer is that we would never forget. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the basic things. Sometimes, sometimes you ever just started to feel like you had it figured out? You ever just started to feel like, you know, like, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. 
I think I'm a pretty good believer. I think I'm a pretty good. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of, no, the only reason why you can even be born again and you have the status and the place that you have right now in your life and you're in right relationship with God is because of what Jesus did for you. It was not anything that you could do for yourself. It was what Jesus did for you. What Jesus did for you. And Peter says that because of our faith in Jesus, we have this inheritance that is waiting on us in a place where nothing can change it and nothing can ruin it. Come on, that's good news. That's good news. Paul, Paul wrote about this inheritance. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I love that our inheritance is being kept in heaven. Our inheritance is not necessarily something here that could be taken away or could be changed. No, God has it, and it's pure, and it's undefiled, and it's waiting on us whenever we get to meet him. It cannot be taken away from us. It reminds me of something that Jesus said uh, when he was talking about, I love the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus was talking about where we should store up our treasure. Come on, anybody remember this verse? He's talking about where we should store up our treasure. The things that we do, where are you storing up your treasure? And this is what he says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? In heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You know what he's saying? You need to store your treasure up in a place where nothing can change it, nothing can touch it, nothing can defile it. It's, it's pure, it's, it's waiting on you, you need to stir up. And then he would go on to say, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Like where you're storing up your treasure, that's where your heart's going to go. So, so you need to be storing up your treasure in a place where it can't be changed, where it can't be destroyed. And all of us who have placed our trust in Jesus have this this hope of eternal life with God. And this is a hope, listen, it gives us strength to persevere. Because Peter is writing to some, some people who are going through some stuff. And I don't know if you've ever gone through some stuff. Sometimes we think we've gone through some stuff. And then you read some instances in the Bible where you talk to somebody who comes from, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, somebody who comes from South Korea and the things that they endure and the things they're going through. And you hear about, you know, uh, across this border where they're having church underground. And, you know, it's like if they get a Bible in their language, they're so thankful for it. I mean, like a few years ago, we had a couple here and, and he spoke to us and we were able to kind of help them go to Papua New Guinea and this, this unreached people group. And I've been, you know, following some of their posts on social media and talking about, man, just trying to get the Bible into these places in their language and don't even like trying to figure out how to get it in their language and sometimes we take those things for granted but this hope that that we're talking about it gives us strength to persevere uh, this is a hope that gives us joy no matter what difficult or painful things we face and that's good news today that when our hope is in Jesus no matter what we walk through there can still be joy there's strength. Come on, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can, we can have strength to be able to endure, to be able to persevere, to be able to continue going when things get difficult. He goes on, verses 6 and 7. I like this. He says, so be truly glad. Somebody say, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, to which if we stopped right there, we would think, woohoo. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. But then he goes on and he says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He says, so be truly glad. There's great joy ahead, even though right now your life does not look good. Even though what you're walking through right now does not look like what you would want it 
to look like. Even though you're probably sitting at home at night wondering why is this happening to me when I'm trying to follow Jesus. These people were trying to follow Jesus. These people, I mean, we're talking about the person who wrote this letter is somebody who was murdered for his faith. Murdered because he would not shut up about what he had experienced and the person that he had met in Jesus Christ and he had to tell everybody. And he says, you need to be truly glad. Like, There's joy awaiting you. There's joy ahead, even though right now you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So when I read these couple of verses in 1 Peter, one specific word comes to mind. And some translations even have this word in it. And it's this word, suffering. Woo, when was the last time that you got up and you were like, how can I suffer for Jesus today? I can't wait. Lord, I'm just praying that you give me an opportunity today to suffer for the cause of Christ. To suffer, come on, does anybody look forward to suffering? Um, as, as I was reading some things and studying this, I came across this commentary regarding verse 7 that I want to read to you. It says this, suffering can lead to one of three responses. First, we can seek to avoid discomfort at all costs. Come on, we're my avoiders. All the avoiders, you, you, like suffering comes and you're like, Woo, nope, I'm about to run the other way. I'm going to avoid this. We can avoid Discomfort at all costs, fleeing, uh, fleeing our tormentors. Second, we can cry out in despair. Why, God, is this happening to me? It says that both of these are natural and understandable responses, but neither leads us into an experience of God. A third choice, Peter says, is allowing God to redeem our suffering by using it to purify and deepen our faith. God may or may not send suffering into our lives, but he certainly wants to redeem our pain. And as we accept suffering and give it to Jesus to do with it as he will, we are in the process of becoming holier and stronger as time goes on. Whew, I like that. Come on, we can either avoid, and listen, there may not necessarily inherently be anything wrong with you know, with even the second one of crying out, why God is this happening to me? I think that God can handle your questions. I think that God can handle your whys. I think that sometimes God would rather you ask him why than just sit in and sulk in wondering and allowing the enemy to just play with your mind. But man, there's something powerful about looking at every situation that we walk through from the lens of how can God redeem this? How can God get glory out of this? How can God... Make me more like his son Jesus as I walk through this. And that's what I hope we would choose. Is it easy to choose that? No. But man, there's something so powerful that happens in our lives whenever we recognize that even though I'm walking through this right now, even though this is something that I'm having to endure right now, even though I'm having to process through this right now, 
I'm in the process of becoming stronger. I'm in the process of God redeeming this. I'm in the process of God taking all things and working them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm just in this process right now, and God's going to get glory out of this. I heard, I think I've shared this with you one time before, but somebody said every time they walked through something hard, they would, they would picture like the devil was standing right there in front of them and say, oh, you're going to be sorry that you did that to me. Because I'm going to give God so much glory out of this, and God's going to get so much, so much praise out of this, and I'm going to, I'm going to worship Him through it, and God, people are going to look at me and think, "How did you do that?" And I'm going to be able to tell them how I was able to get through it and how I was able to do it. And you're going to wish that you had never messed with me. Come on, some of us just need to look down at the enemy in our lives and say, "Ooh, you know what? You're going to wish that you had never messed with my marriage. You're going to wish." That you had never messed with my kids. You're going to wish that you had never sent that trial into my life. You're going to wish that you had never done that because I'm going to take that and I'm going to give it to God. And God's going to turn it around and throw it in your face. And somebody is going to come to know him because of it. Come on, some of us just need to get. I feel this today. (laughs) I feel it today. Man, we don't like suffering, but oh my gosh, God can get so much glory out of our suffering if we'll hand it over to Him. And listen, and He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine through His power that's at work in us. And He can work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Come on, if you're walking through something today, you got some pain and suffering, and you're having to persevere through something, give it to God today. Give it to God today. Say, God, what do you want to do through this? What do you want to do through this? Peter writes about our faith being shown to be genuine because of what we walk through and what we face in life. You ever, you ever thought about when you, when you knew that your faith was genuine? You ever thought about how you know that your faith is genuine? Is it when everything's going great? Most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, you recognize how strong your faith is and how genuine your faith is when you go through something hard. And Peter says, it's like, it's like your faith, this is what's proving that your faith is genuine. It's like it's being purified in the fire. As fire purifies gold and all the impurities come out of it and then you get the real thing, that's what trials do. That's what suffering does. That's what tribulation does. That's what walking through hard things does. Is when you walk, you're not alone when you're walking through something hard. Come on, God's walking with you through it. But it's, it's purifying you. It's making your faith genuine and when you come out on the other side while trusting in God it it shows you and it shows others around you that your faith in God isn't just based on things being good in your life but it's based on the character of God it's based on your relationship with God it's based on your trust in God not what God can do for you but what God has already done for you So many times we're seeking now what God can do for me and we get mad because God doesn't do for me what I want God to do for me. God already did something for you. God sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect sinless life, to die on a cross and be raised to life again so that you could have life. Come on, if God never did anything else for us, he's already done enough and we need to rejoice in that and say, God, thank you for sending Jesus so that I can spend eternity with you. Come on, that's good news right there, but I'm thankful that God, but he doesn't just leave us like that. Come on, I know we could go around the room today and we could all testify of something good that God has done in our life and something that God has seen us through and something that God has walked us through and something that God has gotten glory out of in our lives. He goes on, look at, look at verse 8, I want to read all the way through verse 12. 
He says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Talking about God. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Come on, can you imagine the angels just eagerly watching what's going on? <laughs> like they're on the edge of their seat, like, whoo, this is so great and this is so glorious that the angels are on the edge of their seat just watching what God is doing, watching what God is doing in your life, watching how you're following after him. It's amazing to me that we get to live on this side of the resurrection of Jesus. Come on, are you thankful we get to live on this side of the resurrection of Jesus? You ever thought about this, how we have the scriptures and we have the accounts and we have the stories and we have the letters and we have all these things that transpired at our fingertips? He says that the prophets wondered about the time Jesus would come and what these things would ultimately look like. They were prophesying about things that were going to happen. They were prophesying about Jesus coming and the coming Messiah. They were prophesying about what was going to happen. And at the same time, they were wondering, what is that going to look like? What is that going to, like, what's going to transpire? You know, and they're, they're prophesying, but we have the written accounts of what it was and what it looks like and what God's doing in our lives. Peter was writing to people who had never physically seen Jesus, just like us. He says, I know, I know you've never seen him, but you trust in him. And you can't see him now, but you keep on trusting in him. You keep on trusting him. It reminds me of what Jesus said. I'll probably butcher this, but Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he says, like, you've seen me, but blessed are those who will believe in me even though they have not seen me. That because of the, because of the testimony, because of the word, because of the scriptures, because of of what you're going to go share and what you're going to spread. Blessed are those who are going to believe in me even though they have not physically seen me. It says that these people had never seen Jesus, but they loved him and they trusted him. And I would submit to you that even though we have never seen Jesus in the flesh, we're called to love him and we're called to trust him with all of our heart and all of our lives. I love verse 9 because it ultimately... It's ultimately this verse of hope, no matter what we face in our lives. And there's this one statement that I'm going to have them put on the screen. He says this. He says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, I want to talk about this for just a few seconds. Because we may not see everything we want to see while we're here on this earth. But we can remember that in the end, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. So our hope cannot be in everything here changing our hope cannot be in my life being perfect my hope cannot be in never experiencing any pain and God miraculously just taking me out of anything that would cause me any pain or any trial or any suffering my hope can't be in that he says the reward for you trusting in God is the salvation of your souls in other words you have something to look forward to even though you're walking through something difficult now, you have something that you get to look forward to, and it's that you are going to get to spend eternity with your Heavenly Father. That you have been saved, that you are being saved, that you are being transformed, and one day 
everything will be made perfect. And one day we'll experience, uh, I believe, something that we can never wrap our minds around. We try to picture what, what spending eternity with God will look like, but I don't think we could ever comprehend in our human brains what it's going to be like whenever we spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. And he says the reward, listen, if you were looking for a reward, the reward may not be that your situation changes. But the reward will always be for followers of Jesus and people who have surrendered their life to him that you will be spending eternity with him. And so we have to keep that in mind in the midst of everything that we walk through. The next few verses, verse 13, he says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Come on, there's a word for all of us right there. <laughs> prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Can I ask you a question? Where have you put your hope? Where is your hope? Peter has already said that trials and suffering like he's, he's writing to people, he says, like, right now you're having to endure some things for a little while. Come on, isn't it interesting that, that, that what seems like a long time to us, even Paul would tell us is just a brief time. Like, even though you must suffer for a little while, great is your reward. You know, like, there's great joy ahead. This is, this is, this is a small time frame compared to eternity. Your lifetime is a small time frame compared to eternity and peter he's talking to people he's writing to people that are enduring trials they're enduring suffering and i love what jesus said and i don't have this verse on the screen but he said like in this life in this world you're going to have trouble but he said take heart because i've already overcome the world not take heart because i'm going to help you avoid every bit of trouble but take heart because you have me and i've already overcome the world and I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you, and I'm going to walk with you through all of these things. But troubles and trials and suffering, they will come sometimes. But Peter, even in saying this, he's trying to redirect our focus to not be on the trials that we face, but on the salvation that we've been promised as believers in the end. And our hope can't just be in being rescued out of every difficulty we face. Our hope has to remain in the fact that this world is not our home. And we've been promised eternity with God in the end. Peter's talking about shifting our thinking. Shifting what we see. Shifting how we think. From one side of an issue to another. And if you look up that, if you look up that word in verse, uh, in verse 13. Where he's talking about just that phrase. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Preparing your minds for action. He's talking about, if you look that up, it's talking about shifting the way that you see it from one side of the issue to the other side of the issue. So you've been seeing it from one perspective. You've been seeing it as, I want to be out of this. You've been seeing it as, I don't want to walk through this. You've been seeing it as, my life is really hard right now and this seems like this is never going to end. And he says, no, you need to shift your thinking and prepare your mind and get on the other side of it 
and see that even if I have to walk through that, God's with me. And even if I have to walk through that, my reward is great on the other side. Like, I'm not, I'm not as much concerned about this. Come on, this is, what, this is what we have a hard time understanding. This is what we have a hard time doing in our lives, myself included. Is we, we can only see what we're in. And Peter is trying to say, you can't just look at what you're in. You've got to look at, because you've placed your faith in Jesus, there's an eternal reward for you. So even if you're walking through something right now, you can have joy, and great joy is awaiting you because you have an eternal reward on the other side. So if we could ever shift our mindset to really expect difficulty, expect trials, expect hard things to happen in our lives because we live in a fallen world and there is a real enemy. I mentioned it earlier, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy and that's the reason why he is here. And if we could ever expect, I know that there's an enemy who's going to try to attack me, who's going to place things in my life, who's going to try to destroy things in my life, who's going to try to sever relationships and make it difficult on me, but I'm not going to focus on what I'm having to walk through. I'm going to keep walking through it, and I'm going to trust God because he's with me, and I know that ultimately my reward is on the other side. Ultimately my reward is coming when I spend eternity with God. And so no matter what I have to face right now, come on, Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him. He was looking at what he was going to accomplish. He was looking at what was going to come on the other side. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went through everything he went through because he had his, his mindset and his perspective was not just on what he was going through. He could see the other side. He knew what it was going to accomplish. Peter said, this is making your faith genuine. Like you're walking through some things and it's proving that your faith is genuine. And here's what you need to know about genuine faith. People take notice of genuine faith. People take notice when your faith is genuine. When you walk through something difficult and you come out on the other side or you're in the middle of it and you're still serving God and you still have strong faith and you're still following after Jesus and you're still showing up to church and you're still going to a grow group and you're still serving in the church and people are like, how in the world are you doing all this? You're walking through all of this in your life. It's, my faith is genuine. My faith is not based on what I do or do not experience. My faith is based on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And so since my faith is in him and not in this, this doesn't shake my faith. If your faith, listen, if your faith is in this being fixed or this being right or this being easy, your faith will be shaken. But if your faith is in Jesus, it can never be shaken, no matter what this looks like. If I get this mindset and my faith is in Jesus, it doesn't matter what I walk through. It's just purifying me a little bit more. It's just transforming me a little bit more. It's just helping me become more like Jesus. we got to think eternally and not just in the moment. I don't know if you've ever been in a difficult situation in your life. But many times when we get in difficult situations, we're looking for a way out. Come on, anybody ever been looking for the way out? And here's, and here's what Peter makes this, this statement. I want to go back and, and look at this. He says, this is in verse 14. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Now, Peter is writing to people in suffering and trial. 
So people that are walking through something, and here's what he tells them. He says, all right, I know you're having to endure some trials for a time. But don't slip back into, come on, children of Israel, why did you bring us out here? You know, we could have just stayed in Egypt and we were eating all the fish that we wanted and all the stuff that we wanted or whatever, you know, and they start talking about, I heard somebody say this last week, so they were, they were talking about, you know, the fish being free and, the, you know, the food being free or whatever. It's like, it wasn't free, you were enslaved. There was nothing free. But they're looking back like, we want to go back, we want to go back. And isn't it true, listen, that many times whenever we are in the midst of difficulty or trial, isn't it true that we have this tendency to slip back into old house, slip back into the way that we used to deal. We slip back into the way that we used to numb. We slip back into the way that we used to try to handle it just to get by so that we could get to the other side of it. And Peter's saying, no, don't slip back into these old sinful ways. No, you got to keep moving forward. You keep trusting in God. Don't slip back into the ways that you used to try to escape or destructive behavior. Because when we want to get out of something that we're going through, Really, we have a choice. Are we going to slip into something to try to handle it ourselves and try to deal with it ourselves and try to make ourselves be able to handle it? And I'm going to drink a little bit more and I'm going to numb a little bit more and I'm going to go back to the old habits that I used to have or am I going to continue to trust God and allow him to continue to perfect me, allow him to continue to transform my life? He says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own evil desires you didn't know any better than that. Here's what I think, I'm going to put this in my own terms, but here's what I think Peter said to them and what he's saying to us when he's talking about, don't, don't slip back into the old things that you used to do. Here's what I think he says in that statement. He says, you know better than that. Come on, anybody told your kids that before? Come on, anybody told your kids that the last week, the last three days? You know better than that. We even word it this way. It's like you were raised better than that. Like you know not to act like that. And I kind of get that vibe here in, the, in this moment, not in a condemning way, but where Peter's like, no, you know better than that. You've experienced God. You've surrendered your life to Jesus, and you've seen him work. We've told you the story. Like, you know what this is all about. You didn't know any better then, but you know better now. And instead of going back to what you used to do, now as believers, you should be holy just as God is holy. And what is he talking about when he says, be holy as I am holy? He's talking about being set apart. He's talking about being different. He's talking about standing out. I love the, the intro. Um, if you watch it, if you watch The Chosen, I love the intro to The Chosen because it's all these gray fish swimming in one direction. And then there's a blue fish that goes this way. And then another couple of blue fish that go this way. And it stands out. They're going against the flow. And he says, you need to be holy as God is holy. He's talking about being set apart. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to be living in sin. And I know there is a fine line. And I am trying to figure out how to communicate with you where the fine line is between not being a perfect human and deliberately choosing to live in sin. Because I think sometimes we, can we just go here for a moment and then I'll get off your toes and we'll, we'll end this sermon today. I think there's a lot of times where we justify things that we have done by, well, I'm just never going to be perfect. 
No, you're never going to be perfect. But by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, come on, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. And so you can overcome. And you can make the right decision. And you can do the next right thing. And you can walk away from that addiction. And you can walk away from that, that sinful behavior. Like, you can. You have the power inside of you to follow Jesus and walk it out one day at a time. And are you ever going to be perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect. This is not talking about being perfect. This is talking about being set apart. Like being different. What would it look like for a church of uh, a church full of people to just begin to pray, Lord, like set me apart. Help me look different than everybody. What if there were, what if there were people just all over town that just look different? Like if they ran into you, they would know that you're a follower of Jesus. If they heard your conversation on the phone on the next aisle over at Walmart, they would know, come on, is it getting too real? They would know that person must be a believer. Or do they wonder? He says, you need to be, you need to be different. Like, there should be a differentiating factor. And when people look at your life and they look at how you speak and how you treat people and like that they can see, man, this is a this is a follower of Jesus. We need to be set apart just as God is set apart. And Peter goes on, he says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Can I just remind you today that you were bought with a high, high price. <laughs> and Peter even points out, he says, no, it wasn't gold and we would think that gold is very valuable no it wasn't it wasn't silver and we would think that well silver is pretty valuable he says no those things lose their value over time he says no you were bought with the blood of the one and only son of god you were bought with the blood of jesus christ and before the world began god had a plan to purchase and redeem you by his son. Peter said, he said, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. He chose Jesus and what Jesus would do long before the world began. That he would come and he would pay the price and he would, he would redeem you. He would take your place. Paul, I love what Paul reminds us of in his letter to the Corinthians because he kind of talks about this a little bit when he's addressing how believers should steward their bodies. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And look at what he says. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And Peter says that our response to this high price that God paid for us, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, our response 
should be to live in reverent fear of him. Now, I won't take a whole lot of time on this because you can just go back and listen to last weekend's message on the fear of the Lord. Amanda talked about the fear of the Lord last week, but there should be a reverence and respect for God in your life as a believer. Like in response to how you were purchased at such a high price and Jesus shed his blood for you, there should be this reverence, there should be this awe, there should be this respect for God in your life as a believer. Do you just live for yourself or do you respect what God's word says? Do you view God as someone to just save you from hell or do you honor and respect him with your life? Verses 21 and 22, through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins. Come on, aren't you thankful? When you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Many, many Christians, I believe, have been cleansed from their sins, but they struggle to love their brothers and sisters in Christ the way that they're called to. And he says, you've been cleansed of your sins, and so you need to love each other deeply. What would the church look like, and what impact could we truly have in the world if we would take this command seriously? If we would take, if we would take what God has told us about love and loving one another seriously, what impact could we have on the world? What impact could we have in each other's lives? If we really took this seriously, he, how will the world know that we are Christians? Here's Jesus' answer, by the way we love each other. How should we treat each other as followers of Jesus? Here's Peter's answer, love each other deeply with all your heart. With all your heart, love each other deeply. Your brothers, he's writing to these people, they're believers, they're all together. And he says, you know what you need to do for each other? You're going through trials, you're going through difficulty, you're going through suffering. There's a lot of things that I'm trying to remind you of, but here's one thing that I need to remind you of. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Don't bite each other. Love each other deeply with all your heart. I'm bring the worship team back. And then chapter 1 ends with these verses. 23 through 25 says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But look at this verse. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Can I tell you something right now? If God said it, if it's the word of the Lord, it's not going anywhere. Woo, what Jesus did for you and what has been declared and what has been written in the scriptures and what has been testified of, this, this saving power, what Jesus did for you, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, but when we repent of our sins and we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're born again. It reminded me of a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Anybody ever read the conversation? You quote a verse from this conversation. It's one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and look at what it says. It says, Jesus replied to him, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus is talking about being born again, Nicodemus is like, that doesn't even make any sense. 
Like, we're just going to reverse all this and just go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, natural birth, and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. And here's the reality, and you know this. You know this. You've already been born naturally. Hello, you're here right now. But in order to see the kingdom of God, listen, it's not about how good you are. You're never going to be good enough to see the kingdom of God. We like to try to work for it, though, don't we? It's not about how good you are. It's not about how good you treat other people. It's are you born again? Those who are born again see the kingdom of God. So you've been born naturally. Have you been born of the Spirit? There's a work. The, the Bible would teach us that whenever you're born again, whenever you are saved, whenever you receive salvation and forgiveness of your sins, that the Holy Spirit comes and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That you have been made right with God. That you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Those are the people. Those are the people. I heard a pastor one time, he was preaching a message on who goes to heaven. He said, good people don't go to heaven. Because who gets to determine what's good? You might think that's good. I don't think it's good. I think something's good. You're not sure that it's good. Who gets to determine what's good? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. People that have been born of the Spirit. And so it is so, it is so important to me that you understand that you have to have your own relationship with God. You have to make the decision for yourself. Your mama can't make the decision for you. Your daddy can't make the decision for you. Your sibling can't make the decision for you. You have to make the decision for yourself to be born again and to be saved. Will you stand to your feet today? And here's the great news is that whenever you are born again, whenever you are saved, whenever you receive forgiveness for your sins and your your sins are covered, you step into eternal life. You step into eternal life. 